I'm I'm thinking of an experiment that I've seen several times. The first time that I saw this, I was caught up in it, just like everybody else. Now, not a chance. <laughs> and, and this is what it is. Basically, it is a video, a short video, with four or five people playing basketball. And the idea is uh, to tell the audience before they see the video that something's going to happen to the ball. So watch it very closely. Something's going to happen. And then they show the video. And in the video, it's just a bunch of kids passing a ball back and forth while another uh, student dressed fully in a gorilla costume walks in through the crowd of the players, holds his hands up and says, hi, everybody, and then walks by. And most people miss it. They do not ever see the gorilla until it's played a second time. Very few people catch this gorilla that's fully easily seen because they have been told to look at something else. This is classical um, prestidigitation, except this is a marvelous example of how easy it is uh, to do sleight of hand where this this guy in the gorilla suit he was absolutely easily seen if you had just been if somebody said watch for the gorilla you could not have possibly missed him but when they say <laughs> watch the ball people will miss the gorilla completely okay so that shows about the kind of input that we have back to what we were talking about when we are living our life normally we're not paying attention to everything that's happening what we do pay attention to are things that we're directed towards and almost always we're directed towards danger if there's perceived danger therefore something very good can happen right beside something very bad that happened both of these are mentally subjective of course but we will not remember the good thing that happened we may not even have any much of input in it because we're paying attention to the bad thing that happened if we do that our whole lives guess what our whole memory base is a selection of all the bad stuff that's ever happened to me. <laughs> and I never did get a hold of very much that happened that was good to me, and therefore I don't remember very much that happened that, that's good. But boy, do I remember a whole bunch of stuff that happened. I remember when my dad caught that possum in the basement, and I remember <laughs> falling out of the swing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I was three years old that I, I was in another swing, in fact, and I crapped in my pants because I, I liked where I was and <laughs> I yeah. didn't want to get up and go. So yeah. these are the kind of things that we remember. And it's hard for us to realize that, wait a minute, dealing in the past is actually inviting to go back in and reminisce around the things that were frightening, terrifying, uh, unsatisfactory 
to us that our, our that our past is basically a collection of going from one disaster after another, and we record the disasters, but the good moments we generally don't. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, so that means in our practice, we have to turn things around by starting to pay close attention to the very good things that are happening and to forget about the things that are bad happening. To remember the good things, because we generally, the way that the mind is constructed, we tend to remember the bad things and don't remember the good things. So when we uh, uh, start practicing anapanasati and the practice of gladdening the mind. So now that you've had these events, make sure that the kind of feeling that you had for those is recorded and revisited and deepened so that you can get into the habit of feeling good because you've been in the habit of feeling bad. (laughs) Yeah. And so winding up feeling good. Um, The more I look at the whole teaching of the Buddha, I recognize it more and more as just a coin with two sides. There is the Dukkha side and there is the Dukkha Naroda side. And your choice. And often we flip our coin and we wind up on the Dukkha side. Many times don't even recognize that that there's the other side of the coin until it shows itself. But if we're watching for it, if we recognize what's going on, that every event has two sides. Just like every story, you know, it has, uh, there's more than one version of every story. But many times we only hear one version of the story. Okay, so this is another idea uh, of looking at it, that there's, there's, there's kind of this duality It's always going on, a duality of I like it, I don't like it. I like it, I don't like it. Or that when it um, keeps happening over and over again ignorantly, it winds up, this is good and that's bad. Yeah. Where it may have not been bad, it may have just been a surprise. And I didn't like feeling surprised. Yeah. And so many people wind up having a great deal of aversion to things that are very good because of the, the feelings that they have associated with it. And they go by their gut feelings, and those gut feelings are generally old. We don't run by new feelings, we run by old ones. Yeah, I feel like something about my practice is I have to just run those feelings into the ground into the dirt and just go over them and over them until i'm sick and i can't just be sick of them i gotta be sick and tired i i go through you know Mm, i don't know i think you've been sick and you've been tired and you've been sick and tired of being sick and tired long enough yeah there's that whole other way of doing it, of gladdening the mind, being happy when you catch that stuff. You don't have to run it into the ground. 
A better way of looking at it is grabbing it by the throat. <laughs> I got you. Or more more that I I turn it's like it's like you don't realize you're burning down a house and then you turn around for a split second and realize the whole house is on fire. And for a second there's this feeling of it used to be this way. There's, there'd be a feeling of, oh, I like that that mental construct I had about um, a certain thing, you know. Or I like, I, and then I immediately realized, no, I, I, I'm sick and tired. I don't like that at all. You know, you've got to turn around and see. When you turn around, you see the dukkha exactly. Yeah. you got to see that this is yeah. dukkha. Uh-huh. Yeah, you don't realize it until you're there, really, that I'm sick of that mental Im- mental image until it's it's just about to be gone, and then I recognize it, and then it's gone. You know. Um. Well, seeing it and recognizing it in is in a way the beginning of its end, mm-hmm. and that it's uh, the. Be- let us say that duration after it begins, it will, it has a duration and then it has an end. And you're saying that when it, when that end comes is when you can see it. When and I'm saying, it, yeah. no, that's okay. not true. That the end comes when you can see it, you've got it backwards. Yeah, <laughs> it, it it doesn't have to last five minutes, and then right. uh, it it then it ends by itself, and then you see it. If you can wake up at two and a half minutes, then it will end at two and a half minutes. Yeah, if yeah. you it, at one minute, if you wake up to it at one minute, it it will begin to dissipate at one minute. And we can, and in fact, the waking up to it is a change in the mind. You see, if we are stuck in a thought pattern, then we are that thought pattern, or we are that mental uh, thought feeling pattern. Because almost always when we have a thought, there's going to be feelings associated with it. And so we get into that thought feeling pattern. And when we wake out up, when we wake up to it, that's already a change. Mm-hmm. But before we were in it, all we had was the feeling thought pattern going. But when we wake up to it, now we've added something new. It's almost like all we've added to this whole car was a nail in the tire. Yeah. I feel like when um, when I hear people talk about the dark night of the soul or whatever... I feel like that, that that maybe there's a possibility of getting stuck, you know, staring at the burning house, thinking, oh, you know, this is me. I'm burning myself down. And, and mm-hmm. you can, you're fixated on that. And you don't turn around and see the open field that you've got in front of you that's much better than the burning house. Precisely so. Yeah. Precisely so. So in that regard, we could say that these stages of insight where people do have a dark night of the soul 
is simply because they're not practicing correctly, which means that it's possible for someone to practice correctly and then not have that kind of experience. Okay, because in fact, the way that you described it is quite excellent because what we're actually describing uh, or defining is the word despair. Mm -hmm. Okay, now I'm going to use despair as um, um, a counter uh, position of the word disgust. Because in fact, disgust is what we're looking for. When I gave you that uh, poem, oh, boundless joy to find at last there is no happiness in the world. You've heard that, right? Yeah. Okay. I, I generally who give it that? to all of my students. Who, oh, who, boundless. Who's, pardon? Who's the poet? Who's? Uh, the, this was written by Emmanuel Sherman. He was a, a commercial artist before he ordained. And uh, so he's done some artwork. And this is one of the pieces of art that is on the wall at the Spiritual Theater at Watchstone Moat. And I've got photos of it. Mm -hmm. And so it says, oh, boundless joy to find at last there is no happiness in the world. But that's a very advanced way of looking at it because normally or at the beginning, when people see there is no happiness in the world, they become quite disgusted with the world. This is in, is in fact exactly along with that line of what Jesus said, but Jesus only gave two thirds of it. He didn't say the whole show. So let me give you the whole show. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, but first it's gonna piss you off. <laughs> okay, if we stay in that state of pissed off, it's going to take us into disgust. And if we stay pissed off and disgusted and disgusted and pissed off, it's going to take us into a state of despair. Now, that dark night of the soul of that despair was actually something that is quite Christian comes from St. John of the Cross and there's been other Christian writings including Mother Teresa who seems to have been in the dark night of the soul for about 20 years and the dark night of the soul can be expressed as my God my God why hast thou forsaken me okay so here the old poor nun is praying and praying and praying her pants off I mean, her socks are rolled down because she's been praying so hard and she never gets an answer. And so first she gets disgusted that she's not getting an answer. And then the thought occurs, I will never get an answer. God has forsaken me for sure. I am now lost. <laughs> this is despair, okay? When we're watching that burning house, if the thought crosses the mind, my house is burned and I have nothing, then that will take us from the disgust down to the level of despair. There's no reason for anyone to go to, into a full state of despair, especially if they've been practicing correctly to the point of recognizing it doesn't matter how big that fire is on that house. I can throw that out of the mind and I can come back and be here now and enjoy the moment. 
And and in that regard, what we do want to do is we do want to operate with that despair, uh, excuse me, that disgust, but not despair because despair is a full-blown loser's position. That's really the dark, how dark can the dark night of the soul get is when the soul is completely destroyed and it was completely valuable. So everything, all of the value has been now destroyed. That's when we think of it as complete despair. People can get that way and commit suicide. People can get into that state and uh, uh, throw it out. This is, in fact, what will happen for soldiers in the army that when they desert, they will desert out of a sense of despair. If I stay in this army, it's only going to be bad. There's nothing good. I'll get killed or whatever like that. It's better just to take a hike. But it's always very short-sighted. The, the, the despair or the pain is so intense right now that getting out of that state of intense pain and despair in this moment is so important that it doesn't matter what my actions are that we'll have reactions later. So we wind up doing very, very stupid things when we're in a deep state of despair. Like uh, like go, go and curse out the abbot of the monastery we live in. <laughs> <laughs> or going and shooting a cop. Or I mean, there's all kinds of ways to deal with very, very deep despair. And almost always, it's a very tragic thing that happens when we're dealing from a state of despair. So it's best not to get into a state of despair. And for that reason, it's better to look at that uh, uh, progress of insight as not a deep state of despair, but rather merely a state of disgust. When we become disgusted with the world, and on top of that, we become disgusted with our interactions with the world. Here's an example. We are fully attached to the world. And then we realize that the world itself is disgusting. Then we recognize, wait a minute, it's not the world that's so disgusting all by itself. It's the fact that I've got my fingers all over it. I'm attached to it. The disgust is rubbing off. In that regard, we have to let go. We have to rise above the world. We have to get away from the disgust or in the way that we're thinking, aha, I am not disgusting. The world is disgusting. In this regard, my mind is what's disgusting. And I can throw that disgusting stuff out of the mind and come back to a state of joy. And It's like a mental sludge that, you know you're walking through and it's just slowing you down and it you have to realize it it, all it takes is realizing it's sludge and you get right the right right the hell out of it you know why would you want to be in it you don't have to be precisely precisely that's the wake-up call the wakey wakey is not that because see um the the you can recognize the sludge is sludge and continue to sludge along. But the real wake up is to recognize this is the sludge and I don't have to be here. 
Yeah. I can come out of it. That this sludge is easy to come out of because it's mental. Okay. A really easy example, right from the very beginning of practice, we can see that uh, waking up only enough to see that it's sludge, but not coming out of it. When Gawanka says, when the mind wanders away from the breath, never mind, start again. But you see, when the students recognize that the mind has wandered away from the breath, what will happen to the new student is, oh no, this meditation is so hard. I wish I knew how to do it right so that I could keep my mind focused on the breath. And why? And I want to stay focused on the breath. Why can't the mind do that? I must be doing something wrong. Now, if you heard every individual sentence that I've had, each individual sentence is like taking a step in the sludge. What am I doing wrong? This is a monkey mind. Okay, it's all still stuck in hindrances. And that happens to students right up to the very end of their practice. All along, we have to recognize that we've got two, actually two stages of wake up. The first wake up is the wake up that look at what we're doing in it. But then the second wake up is no, really wake up and look what you're doing. That you don't have to do this. That second quality is to really wake up and see that this really is a sludge and you don't have to be in this sludge. But the first wake up is, yeah, I'm in the sludge and that's all I have. That's my life. I'm in the sludge right now. Okay. That's not enough wake up. We really do have to have a strong wake up that has that effort in it. And that effort is just to come out of that sludge over and over and over and over and over again, because we put a lot of sludge out there for our mind to step in. I like the word cow pie too. <laughs> yeah. I learned that. Yeah. I learned that word not not when I was in Texas. I learned that when I was in India. <laughs> India is just one big sea of cow pies. You see them aligned along the road. You see them stuccoed to the houses. You see them, in fact, many houses are nothing but cow pies. Yeah, there's, there's always a there's always another one. There's always something else to uh, to test you out. <laughs> mm -hmm. Especially uh, kids. So, okay. uh, this this state that you're talking about. Oh, we've got a visitor. Well, hello. Ah. Can you say hi? Hi. Hi, you. Hi, you. Got his attention now. <laughs> <laughs> ah, big smile too. <laughs> hey. Hey. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, I'm gonna come look. Uh oh, uh oh, that was a peg, mama. Oh no. <laughs> hey. Say hi, kitty. Say hi. Hi. <laughs> He's not looking. He's getting bigger now. <laughs> He's getting bigger now. Oh, yeah. How many months? About five? Uh, uh, more like eight. Eight now, okay. Yeah. He's, uh... He's... He's a mama's boy. He, he, Name I, me one boy that's not a mama. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I have to do, I have to do, I have to dance around with him and, you know, uh, pull out all the stops, you know, dance for him. She just picks him up and he stops crying immediately. Well, but that's, that's how it always is. is. When, he's, when he's young. But there'll come a time when he begins to change his attitude about that. And then, then she'll have to dance to get his attention. Yeah. <laughs> but I've definitely been practicing just playing playing with my kids like a, like a kid. Hmm? You know, especially now that Kaysen misses his friends so much, you know, there's these got no friends to play with right now he's out of daycare and so i have i really have to be his friend i have to be his like real friend you know so good training for an adult to come back and be a child again yeah so um We need, I guess, to uh, get back into the Dhamma talking about uh, what what we need to do is to look at this idea that there's a coin. And at any time, we can turn that coin over. Or another way of looking at it is uh, like a light switch. And any time that we recognize that, that it's gotten dark, we can turn the light on. All we have to do is remember to do that, to keep turning the light on, because it's almost like a spring-loaded thing, or that it just automatically gets dark again. Or another one is light a candle, but then <clears throat> every candle is going to go out, and it's going to get dark again. And so we have to keep lighting the candle over and over and over again. This is the quality of, of sati uh, that I think is missing, uh, in uh, all kinds of modern systems uh, to where uh, rote learning has been around for many, many centuries, but, but we normally think of rote learning in the sense of only memorizing something. But in a way, 
memorizing the appropriate way to feel is just another way of memorizing something. Mm-hmm. And that we don't, we don't learn that poem. Yeah. And because we don't learn that poem of uh, being, being happy uh, and, and have drilled that in, then uh, the mind just kind of wanders around uh, and pays attention to things that are dangerous and pays attention to the things that are hurting and does not pay attention to and is not trained in uh, to memorize that we, in fact, can feel good. So this is actually a, a rote memory lesson for, an, for the adult. And that uh, uh, the, the, the time, we, they know very well that the time of great learning, children, when they're really learning a lot, is between the ages of like four and nine, that in that age range is a great learning time. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we keep teaching the kids all the wrong things during that time. We yeah. teach them to feel bad. We teach them to do what they're told to do without question. We're, we, we teach them to uh, basically to go along to get along, that they got to do what they're told to do. These are the kinds of lessons that, that they learn when they are in really good shape for learning lessons. And so they wind up having a fairly miserable life when they're an adult. But now that we are adults, we have to still learn that song of joy with a brain that is no longer capable of learning quite as fast and easy as it was when we were kids. So we have to keep doing it over and over and over again to now learn a new song that if we were a child, we could have learned that song easily. But we learned the wrong song when we were a kid. Right. And so and so while we're trying to learn the new song, the old song keeps coming back. Yeah, and 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 it and your part of you wants to believe that there's some value in uh the thinking that negativity is part of your personality or something of that nature when it's better to be impersonally happy, you know, mm-hmm. happiness mm-hmm. is like the same you're, for everybody, you're, you know, you're right. Except for the way that you stated it. And that is, is that those bad feelings in fact are the personality. Right. That's who I, we are. Right. And that, um, one of the major teachings that you will find in, um, let us say, the religion of the time of the Buddha, as well as in modern Christianity, the idea within modern Christianity is, is that you are that personality, and that when you die, that personality will still remain, mm-hmm. and uh, that, uh, never mind the actual definition of original sin, but that you you are sinful and that there is something wrong with your personality and that you can't change it. Therefore, the only possible way out is to take Jesus as your Savior, which means that he will forgive you of your sins. So where the whole point about the teachings of the Buddha is, is that let's not go look for forgiveness from sin. 
let's stop sin. Let's just stop doing it. And the way that we're defining sin now is being in unpleasant states that harm ourselves and harm others. Where the actual word of sin means to miss the mark. In a way, if our target is to be joyful, then our sin is just to miss that target. If our target is to be harmless, abihimsa is the word in Pali. Uh, and that we are harmful to our friends and our family, then we have sinned, we've missed the mark. So the distinction then is within the religious content uh, systems, you are a sinner, you are somehow broken, your personality is flawed, and you are your personality, and you can't change your personality, and therefore, you need outside help, possibly at a price. <laughs> okay. But the actual teachings now of the Buddha are, no, you're not the personality, number one. And two, that personality with effort can be changed. With right effort, you can change your personality. That you are not who you think you are. Yeah, it's isn't that marvelous? I mean, of... that's good news. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and it's um... so. On one side of the good news is is that you're a piece of crap. You've always been crap. You will always be crap. But it's okay for you to be crap because the the crap maker will forgive you for being the crap that he made. That's one story. The other story is, is that, no, you've been told that you're a piece of crap and you feel like crap, but you are, in fact, not crap. And that you can stop feeling like crap. Yeah. And so that's the teaching of the Buddha is, is that you do not have to feel like crap. Uh, I remember talking to you a lot, a long time. Uh, a few months back and we were talking about global warming and Mm -hmm. activism and all this stuff. And um, you were talking about karma and how, you know, that their actions, that all actions have mixed the good and bad actions, both in have mixed results, no matter Mm -hmm. what. And that, that there's the action, you know, of inaction. And at the time, at the time that didn't sink in with me. And, um, but now it, now I, I, you know, burned my hand on the stove one more time and figured out, yeah, that's right. That's just right there. And, and, and your, and feeling, and right now a lot of it's going on. There are protests going on in our city, but there's definitely a guilting that's going on if you're not an activist you know this is there's a guilt cycle if you're not out here you know in the streets um being an activist or if you're not upset about all this that's the thing if you're not upset like i'm and i deal with my wife about about this Mm -hmm. if you're not upset about she'll actively want me to be upset about something and I'm saying no. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be upset. I don't want to be upset because the inner turmoil is what leads to 
the turmoil. Like it's turmoil no matter what. If it's whether okay. it's righteous or not righteous, that's that's what it is. You are pointing at something that I like to talk about with my students often, and I regularly kind of get the feeling that they're a little bit shaky about it, but you've just proven it. So let's look at it from two different angles. One angle we're going to look at it is through the Brahma Baharas. You know the Brahma Baharas? Mudita, or actually Metta, Karuna, Mudita, Upeka are the Brahma Baharas. Okay. Okay. But the other way to look at it is because at the basis of the Brahma Bihara is, in fact, the instincts. So we can look at it instinctual. So the way that I'm going to introduce that is um, imagine that you've got a bar and a bar fly, and this guy is at the bar, uh, in the bar regularly, and he sits kind of close to the front door of the bar. And then anybody who comes into the bar this guy will invite them to have a drink. Now, who's paying for it is not the issue. The point is, is that this guy feels insecure with his drinking and that he wants other people to drink also because there's kind of mentally safety in numbers. Okay. If we look at this at the bottom of it, this is, in fact, herding instinct. That your wife wants to join the herd of the protesters, but she wants you to join that herd too. That there's safety in numbers. But we can see that uh, from the concept of mudita. And mudita is actually, it, it, the definition of it is sympathetic joy. But in fact, I want to look at the sympathetic quality to it because that sympathetic quality is in fact the herding instinct itself so that you will have uh, not just sympathetic joy but we also have sympathetic anger we have sympathetic grief we have sympathetic fear okay if 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 a bunch of teenagers walk into an empty house maybe they broke in and then one of the teenage girls screams. Everybody will get afraid. Everybody will jump. Okay. Mm-hmm. If someone is angry at the bank, he will try to get everybody at work angry at the bank too. That's this sympathetic joy or the sympathetic vibrations. Also, uh, at a funeral. I mean, <clears throat> this is part of my joke. I like this. Um, at a funeral, there are no Christians. Why? Because, well, what happens to a Christian after he dies? He goes to heaven, right? Mm-hmm. And, and why don't the other Christians who are still alive, why don't they say, oh, wow, isn't it wonderful that Grandpa is in heaven? They don't. They don't, yeah. They don't. They don't. They grieve he's gone. And that not only that, but there'll be one person in the crowd who grieves more than everybody else. And everyone then will take their cue of grieving when that person does. So if the wife of the husband uh, breaks down or the husband of the wife who died breaks down and starts to cry, everybody does it right on cue. 
or if not everybody, at least enough to, to prove the point. Okay, so we're talking about an inbred, deeply bred into us um, instinct. In fact, it goes so deep into us that it's right beyond being human, right beyond even being a mammal, right down to fish. At the level of fish, which is very, very ancient in our gene system, we still find uh, fish schooling. Mm-hmm. What is that? That means they herd together, they collect together for safety. We could almost go so far as to say down to one-celled animals. Why did a one-celled animal become a two-cell and a four-cell animal? Possibly for protection. That one cell can't protect itself so easily, but a whole group of cells together just like it can, can be protection. So it's for protection or survival that this uh, nesting instinct occurs. And your wife is then demonstrating this nesting instinct. Mm -hmm. She wants you to get uh, angry and upset at the same thing that she gets angry and upset about because that will, in fact, justify her anger and upsetness. Isn't that amazing? Which means that if you're awake to this, you can begin to control the situation because everybody around you is asleep in sympathetic feeling. So we all go around being controlled and manipulated with our feelings. Normally bad feelings. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, Here's an example of what I'm talking about. There is a... There are a lot of musical themes that very definitely have to do with emotion. Oh, I've got some stories about that to tell you. Here's one. You're in a um, a horror movie. This is a movie playing. And that the girl is slowly walking down the hall. And everybody is already in the audience set up that there's something scary at the other end of the hall. And, and everyone is in the audience is saying, why are you going down this hall? When in fact, that's the whole movie. The whole movie is watching this girl down this hall. But the important thing is that they've got really weird music playing. <laughs> this discordant and spooky and all of that kind of stuff with sometimes an occasional flash of a, uh, a, a noise from the orchestra, which surprises everybody, but there's nothing on the screen that even shows anything. Okay. Um, I just saw a movie yesterday, not the whole movie. I haven't seen it all yet. I was actually just looking forward to see if it was a good movie or not. And, and the name of it was The, the Dark Knight. Uh, uh, arises or something. This is one of the Batman movies. Yeah. And fairly early on in the movie, we see um, Bruce Wayne uh, at a ball dancing with a pretty girl. And the music behind, and it's a ballroom. Everybody's dancing, right? Mm-hmm. The mu- music they're playing is a piece of music called Pavan. It's a requiem to a dead infant. And this is the dance music they're playing at this. I mean, it's like, hey, guys, 
you did not do a good choice of music. If you're going to have everybody <laughs> dancing the way that they're showing to dance, you need to play the music that they would dance to, like a waltz. Vaughn is not even in waltz time. And it is sad and it is morose and no one is moving any gestures in this dance that are associated with this actual piece of music. So in this movie, they got the wrong song at the wrong time. And I just thought that was so hilarious. <laughs> I think, I think too, where you're talking about horror movies and discordant music, that a lot of that discordant music came from a, I think it was a Jewish composer who, um, I think he survived the Holocaust or he, and he, that's the music that came out of him at the end, at the end of that. Was, Could this was have possibly this, been Stravinsky? Possibly. I, I can't remember exactly the the story. Stravinsky but, has done with that kind of stuff. Rites of yeah. Spring is very discordant. Yeah, I think that I think that's probably right. Very strident but, music, okay. So uh, and we use those kind of words because he's trying to convey that as a feeling. Okay, so yeah. what we're saying now is is that we our our feelings are manipulated by media, but they're also manipulated by the news. Here's a clear example: is is that the news, every news, uh, wants you to pay attention to their news, and that the uh, the way that they look at it if, is if it bleeds, it leads. Mm-hmm that people are interested in bad news. Very good, very few good news newspapers survive. <laughs> that they want tragedy. Why do we want tragedy? The answer is because is we've been raised on it. That's our normal groceries. We eat at the restaurant of despair. And so uh, we need to find a way of remembering that we do not have to follow the news. We do not have to follow the movies. We do not have to follow the horror movie. We can watch a horror movie or we can see it, but we can always remember this is the movie that the girl is walking down the hole uh, slowly just to build yeah. the tension. You do not have to feel the tension. You can just really watch them doing that to us. Building up the I tension. I, I remember the, there's the movie that I remember from when I was young and the beginning of the movie, everyone dies in a horrific plane crash. And uh-huh. so I had not directly just because of that movie, but every time I would get on a plane, getting on an airplane is exactly the same for everybody. And so it was exactly the same in that movie. And so I would always feel like, I, I would get I would get flight anxiety, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it really I tried medication because I had to fly a lot, and um, it really wasn't until I started meditation that I was able to deal with it. That's mm-hmm. the drugs by taking didn't... your mind off of the tragedy that you were creating in your own mind. Yeah, right. <laughs> um. And that's I, I that's a big thing for me that yeah, that that media, film, everything has created a world that's very self 
hyper self-aware and meta aware of what they're doing and, and not able to live in the moment, you know, maybe more than any other society. Well, uh, action movies are actually in the moment, but it's always dangerous. Right. Because if it's pleasant, then it will lose people's attention. We're not able to focus on uh, on pleasant. We're focused on um, the danger. And so these movies, that's where that's how they stay in stay in business is by being able to be uh, focused on that danger. That's how uh, the news works. If a news station or a news channel gave 100 percent good news, they'd be out of business in 30 days. (laughs) I'm about to have to go. Okay. well. The question is, is which news are you going to listen to? The news of sadness or the news of joy? Because every new moment is a new moment with its own news. And so this is what I invite you to do is to stay in the present moment happily. You have to keep remembering it's okay to be happy. Yeah. Don't have to do that. But the uh, um, but the the scale is uh, is weighted against you, I know. and and you will fall right back down. So you got to pick that scale and push it down again, and it's going to fall every time. So uh, don't get discouraged, thinking that oh well, once I've learned how to shave, my beard will stop growing. No, that doesn't happen. That 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 old stuff's going to keep coming back and keep coming back. And your job is to be really skilled at whacking that stuff off. I think the good thing is that every day there's less of me to be discouraged. You know, mm-hmm. it's the me that's discouraged. <laughs> so the personality, exactly. Destroy him, then, yeah, nobody to be discouraged. If you're, right, you're not your personality, that's not who you are. Yeah. Good talk, okay. Camarado. All right. Well, we'll see you again soon, I hope. Yeah. Yep. Right. Great seeing you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.